of mercy. What I do. Oh, is it the big uh, statue? Yeah. Nope, but I'll need it next week. <laughs> you like how I do that? Am I out there? Huh. Anyhow, if you got your Bibles with you this evening, let's take a look at the book of Daniel. We are at the end in the book of Daniel. We're at the end of the, the history. And next week we get into the prophecy. And it's so cool because we're going to have a big giant statue up here that we can point to and show you guys uh, the, different, the different prophecies that Daniel gave. So as we take a look, we're going to look at a very familiar story. In fact, as we look at the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 6, perhaps you remember, when you were in Sunday school, Daniel in the lion's den. And that's where we find ourselves tonight. Daniel in the lion's den. You know, when we take a look, Probably, folks, one of the hardest things that we'll ever, ever struggle with is when bad things happen to good people. Struggling over the, you know, why do the wicked prosper? And, and, and those who are, who are righteous and trying to, to move forward, why is it that, that their lives are so difficult, so hard? And I, I love the Psalms for that reason, because David was such a real person. He was never afraid to put down in ink and paper how he felt and what was going on in his heart and in his life. So we're going to take, as we begin, we're going to take a look at just a couple of of psalms just real quick. So uh, if you want to go there with me, you're welcome to. First, I'm going to go to Psalm 59. Psalm 59, David writes this. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloodthirsty men. For look, they lie in wait for my life. The mighty gather against me. Nor for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves through no fault of mine. Awake to help me and behold... You therefore, O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Do not be merciful to any wicked transgressors. Sometimes David struggled with those same things. I love also Psalm 73. If you just turn a few pages, you'll you'll find Psalm 73. As again, David is considering these things. And he writes, Psalm 73, Truly, God is good to Israel. To such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost stumbled. My steps nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. David is so real. He says, I almost, I almost lost my, my witness. I almost gave up my walk in the Lord when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So this was something that he really struggled with this was something that he he really had a problem with but the scripture goes on in psalm 73 says for there are no pangs in their death but their strength is firm they are not in trouble as other men nor are they plagued like other men therefore pride serves as their necklace and violence covers them like a garment their eyes bulge with abundance they have more than a heart could wish 
They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, his people return here and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. And if I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their end. David kind of came full circle on the concept. Because, you know, I, I as much as anyone, there was, I don't know, maybe 12 years ago or something. I don't even remember the, the boy's name anymore. It's pretty sad. But there was a, a boy in Banning uh, that was abducted. And I had just started at, at Joshua Springs uh, in Yucca Valley. And Banning's not too far away. You drive through it fairly often. And, and it was all over the news. You see, this guy had drove up the alley behind their house. And, and as he drove up the alley, he was trying to get this kid's younger brother. And the older brother, who was about 10, I think, 11, 10 years old or 11, he comes over and he grabs his little brother and says, No, you go in the house. And when he sent his little brother into the house from out of the alley, the man grabbed the older boy, threw him in the car, and drove off with him. And we prayed. Probably, like, in some ways, like, I never prayed before. It's prayed. Because, you know, the odds of a good outcome when something like that happens is almost never good. And I remember doing worship on the day that, that, they, that they found him. They found his body. And I couldn't hardly get through worship. I was so frustrated and angry and thinking, how is it that a guy like that even gets a chance to ruin somebody else's life? And I was thankful. The one thing I was thankful for is the boy and his family were Christians. So, you know, I I just, you know, rested in, in the fact that God knows what he's doing. But on the other hand, I'm like, man, I would like to find that guy. I got a little something I'd like to, to show him. Or, and I imagine, <laughs> I imagine in some ways David felt the same way. And not same sen- se- the same circumstances, but the same feeling. Why is it that, that the wicked prosper? And, and we look at it and, and David said, it was when I came into the sanctuary. When he entered into the sanctuary and he realized their end. You and I, we cannot begin to fathom what hell's like. And we may flippantly say, well, you know, that person deserves to go to hell. But that's only because we can't fathom what hell's like. But God can. And God in his infinite mercy is long-suffering toward all. And this is why, folks, when God begins to judge, He's not going to stop. He's going to wait. The long-suffering hand of God will wait. But when judgment comes, judgment is coming. And when it comes, it's coming for us all. And so why does God keep His hand off of, of that person? Who knows? Maybe He didn't, but... but 
Since they never found him, he never came to justice. We never know his end. But I know that God is waiting. He's waiting and giving every person an opportunity, even that guy. Because God himself understands and says in his word, I have no glory in the destruction of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn and live. Because God has an understanding of those things. That's why God was willing to send his son for us. Because folks, in the eyes of God, we are all sinners that cost the price of his beloved son to redeem. Every one of us the same. And every one of us is in that place where where God wants to to reach out. I, for one, I don't know about you, I, for one, am thankful for God's long-suffering. Because if he wasn't a long-suffering God a long time ago, I'd I'd have burned up in ashes in in a strike of lightning. If I got what I deserved, and if we're honest, probably every one of us have been in that place at one time or another. But the long suffering of God, he awaits and, and, and comes to, to anoint and touch his people and bring them into a relationship with him. Well, why do we consider these things? Well, because Daniel chapter 6, as we flip to Daniel chapter 6 and, and begin to go through our text for this evening, I wonder how many times Daniel felt that way. I mean, really... Listen, Daniel is somewhere between 80 and 90 years old in Daniel chapter 6. He's a long way from that teenager who purposed in his heart to live his life wholly and completely after God. He spent his whole life, 70 years, in captivity under pagan kings. He spent his whole life a eunuch, no family. None of those things were things when Daniel was a small boy that he dreamed of. You know, that he would be in that place. Yet, Daniel found God to be faithful. And Daniel served God with his whole heart. And when he served God with his whole heart, what do we see? Daniel's career is unlike anyone else. No one like Daniel. Because when the new king came, the Medo-Persians conquered, as we talked about last week, and they took Babylon, where do we find Daniel? In the government. Lifted high among the wise men of the, the, the second ruling nation. The chest of silver with two arms, the Medo-Persian Empire. And Daniel is in that place serving. But you know what? The enemies of God are still there. They were there with Babylon. They were there with Nebuchadnezzar and, and Belshazzar. And now they're there with, with Darius. And so we see chapter 6 says, verse 1, So it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. So here's the deal. We talked a little bit about it last time. Uh, higher critics look at the book of Daniel, and one of the things they point to is Darius. Who is Darius? Where did Darius come from? Most people agree that Darius is a title given to the general of Cyrus's army, Cyrus the Persian, who, who, who was the ruler over the, then the whole world in that area. And, and so he set his general, Gaburu, as the, the head of Babylon in the cities around Babylon. So Gaburu becomes the king. They called the king Darius or Darius. And so they give that name as a title. We see that in the scriptures over and over again. In fact, if you study in the book of Genesis, you'll run into a king named Abimelech a few times. 
And you start adding up the years and you say, either Abimelech was real old or we got a title for leadership or kings. So the same kind of a concept is going on here with Darius. Uh, uh, Cyrus is the overall leader, uh, the head of it all, but he has placed other uh, kings in other areas to rule in his absence. And one of those we see here in Darius. And now Darius has set up 120 satraps. That means he raised up guys to help him lead. You remember in the book of Genesis, uh, when you study the book of Genesis, you'll come to a time where Jethro is visiting Moses and he's watching Moses as Moses gets up uh, early in the morning and all day he's dealing with all the people's problems and all their troubles. And then at the end of his time, he, he goes to bed and he's wore out and Jethro says, this thing that you do is not good. You need to raise up men. Teach them the law. Raise them up. Which ultimately, whom Moses raises up is the Sanhedrin, the 70, who come alongside and help him to rule. So we see the same thing going on here with Darius. Only he has 120. It says in verse 2, And over these were three governors, of whom Daniel was one. Now, that, that misleads us. You'll notice the was is in italics. That's because it's not there. What the scripture is saying is Daniel was the first. He was the head of the governors who were the head of the 120 satraps who was right underneath King uh, Darius. And so then this Daniel, look at it, says, distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to setting him over the whole realm. Daniel was so gifted because he was so submitted i love the example of daniel because daniel truly lives a life submitted to the lord and sometimes we we make that so much harder than it has to be a life of submission to god and daniel kind of shows us a way as we look in chapter six but in reality if we were to wake up in the morning and to come before the Lord and to dedicate our day to the Lord, this is your day, the day that the Lord has made. And I, I will rejoice and be glad in it. Father, show me, help me to be your servant this day. And we begin our day that way. Isn't that being submitted to the Lord? The problem is what happens? Uh, we got a snooze button on the alarm, don't we? I don't know. Some of you guys are probably more disciplined. I have to put the alarm on the other side of the room so that when it goes off, I have to get up. Otherwise, it would just I'd make Kathy crazy. In the old days when I worked all kind of crazy hours, I would hit snooze hundreds of times. I'd set the alarm. I'm one of them weird guys. I set the alarm like two hours before I got to get up just so I could snooze that much. <laughs> and that, that would make Kathy crazy. But see, all it takes is... is being submitted to the Lord just takes that discipline that says, when I get up in the morning, I'm going to give this day to the Lord. And you and I know as we go throughout our day, we're going to get stained, aren't we? Something's going to happen. We're going to fail. So what do we do? We stop and we dedicate it to the Lord. Help me do what you want me to do, Lord. Help me stay focused this day. And then we go. If you, what did Paul say? Pray without ceasing. It's an attitude of prayer in our day. It's an attitude of submission, looking for opportunities for God and being willing to see your day through God's eyes. 
If I look at my day through my own eyes and bad things happen, I have a tendency to get frustrated and agitated and, and I don't understand and, I, and you know, I'll have all this irritation that comes over me that's going to stain the rest of my day. But if I look at it through God's eyes instead and look at this challenge or this difficulty as something that passed through the hands of a God who loves me, then my attitude changes and it's, Lord, there's something in this, help me see. There's something in this that you're directing or that you're, you're wanting me to grasp. And I want to have eyes to see it. I want to have eyes to, to hold on to it and say, hey, Lord, I want to follow you. Because Jesus told us, guys, very clearly, these things that you've seen me do and greater you shall do. Why did he say that? He said that because the same spirit that he submitted to as he submitted to the Father and was filled with the Holy Spirit in the great kenosis, the great emptying, the same spirit that works in him works in us. And I used to say the world has never seen what it looks like when a man is fully and completely and totally submitted to God. Oh no, we have a perfect example. His name is Jesus Christ. And we can th see it all throughout the scriptures. Wouldn't it be wonderful to say, I only say the things that the Lord gives me to say? Sometimes we got to be able to step on our tongue before it jumps out of our head, huh? Because usually the first thing that comes out my mouth when something happens is probably not, well, very spiritual. I should, doesn't, doesn't the Bible cost in the book of James, control our tongue? Well, how do we do that? Bring every thought into captivity of Christ? Submitting ourselves to the Lord. I struggled for a long time in, in my early early days of our marriage with with faithfulness i had shared before we we had adultery in our marriage and god brought us through all of those uh struggles that erupted as a result of that but <clears throat> after all that took place i still had some of the same struggles going on inside my head and inside my life i mean the reality is that that i am that person i need christ to set me free so I made a pact with the Lord, and I got a, a New Believer's Bible. You know, the ones they give at Harvest Crusade, the New Living Translation, and I keep that in my back pocket. And I told the Lord, wherever I was, whatever happened, anytime some of those thoughts that were going to drag me down the wrong road came up, I would stop wherever I was, pull out this Bible, and read it. And God was so good because He put me amidst a crew of other men in uh, Palm Springs who were more than happy to keep me accountable because none of them were believers. So they didn't get why I would be upset when <clears throat> I took a second look at someone. And I'd pull over the truck. I'd, fortunately, I was a foreman, so it was easy for me. I'd pull over the truck. i stopped. It didn't take very long. I'd open up my Bible. I'd put it right there on the steering wheel. I'd open it up. And I'd read and, and watch how the water of God's word washed my mind clean. And then I'd close it up and I'd say, Lord, help me walk for you. Put it in my pocket, start up a truck, and off we go. And I, w I did that over and over and over and as many times as I needed to do it until God set me free. And in it all, he taught me that now that you're free, don't stop that. that. That was a practice that helped me 
to submit, help me to walk how I believed God was calling me to walk and to do the things I believed God was calling me to do. And it was easy. And you know all those guys that were part of the crew? One by one by one, they would come to me and want prayer. They would come to me for counsel. At one time, I sat all by myself like I had leprosy in the lunchroom. Because they were all in the other place talking about parties and talking about who they were hooking up with and what they were doing and all this craziness. And I didn't want to even hear it, so I'd go on the other side of the lunchroom and read my Bible. One by one, they'd end up in there with me as God enabled me to be a witness for Him. Not because I'm so holy, because I'm not. But just because we, we come submitted to the Father and allow the Spirit to do His work in us. And as the Spirit moves, it affects all those people around us. We can't help but to to affect them. And really, Daniel, in the nth degree, has done that his entire life. And and here we even see him. uh, Once again... Uh, People lifting him up and saying there's an excellent spirit in him. Well, let's look what happens in verse 4. So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But look, they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault in him. Now, how many times have we watched some president put up some judge for the Supreme Court? A Supreme Court justice, and what happens? All this craziness erupts and people can find dirt on everybody, right? When's the last time you hear about one being lifted up where they found nothing? Oh, this is just a good guy. This guy's just solid. He's faithful. There's no fault found in him. That's what happened with Daniel. They were, the king raises him up and all those other guys underneath him are trying to, to, to destroy his, his name, but they can find nothing. Nothing. In his background. But look what they say. So the men say, we will not find any charge against Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. The only way we're going to be able to mess Daniel up is if we charge him somehow with faithfulness to his own God. So they develop a plan. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said to him thus, King Darius, live forever. All the governors, is that true? All the governors of the kingdom and administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and make a firm decree. Did they all get together? I can promise you they didn't invite at least one guy to that meeting. Daniel. But we've all come together to make this decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, what are they doing? They're coming to the king and appealing to his sense of pride. Don't we all love flattery when people come and tell us, oh, you're so wonderful. You're so, it's, it's our spouses that know the truth, right? And even more than them, it's our children. Oh, that's my dad. I could tell you some stories. But here they come to the king with this attitude. And the king, he, he just buys into it. Oh, yes, you know, I am so quite wonderful. And 
it would probably be good if everyone just prayed to me for 30 days. Now, here's the difference between the Babylonian kingdom and the Medo-Persian. You remember Daniel said of the dream and the statue, the head of gold, the, the next kingdom, the chest of silver, would be inferior to Babylon. And what we see is, in Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar was the law, above the law. Whatever he said went. If he said someone died, they died. If he said they lived, they lived. No question. But when we come to the Medo-Persians, in their government, whatever was made into law, the king was bound by that law, and the law could not be overturned. Remember the book of Esther? In the book of Esther, the king does the same thing. Remember, he listens to, to Haman and he, and, he, and he passes this decree that's going to destroy all the, the Jewish people within the kingdom. And how is it that he gets over it? He can't overturn the law, so what does he say? Well, the Jews can fight back. And that's how God delivers his people from that plot to destroy them all. So this is the same kind of thing going on here. When the king makes a law, it's firm, and there's nothing he can do about it. And so we see Darius here, you know, overcome with his own pride and, and, and liking the, the flattery that they bring. So they say in verse 8, Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius sign the decree he signs it look at the next verse now when daniel knew that the writing was signed he went home into his upper room with his windows open towards jerusalem he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed he gave thanks before his god as was his custom since early days daniel was always a man of prayer. In, way back to the beginning, when he purposed in his heart that he was going to live a life submitted to God, it was founded and based in his prayer life. I mean, isn't that how any church moves forward? It's kind, of, it's kind of sad, because typically prayer meetings are the worst attended. And... It's, it's sad for, for a variety of reasons, but one of those reasons is, folks, that we, in this nation, we got it so easy. We do. Life is good. I mean, I, I don't understand if, if I'm hungry and I'm out of bread, I just go to the store and get another loaf. I don't understand other, other places or other countries where you wait in line all day for an opportunity to get a loaf of bread. I don't understand that because, because the world that we live in isn't like that. That's why in the scriptures, one of the things that we're going to see, and one of the things that's good in Daniel's life, one of the things that really helped set Daniel apart, he was always facing persecution. And it made him strong. And if we somewhere in the back of our mind imagine that in our world, we're never going to face the persecution that has come up upon the majority of Christians throughout the world. We're just fooling ourselves. 
I mean, when we were founded as a nation, we had forefathers with foresight that saw and, and, and designed and set up our country on Christian principles and got us going great guns, didn't they? I mean, and the Lord blessed and, and we were fruitful. But do you know now that Christians in China are sending missionaries here? For us. Because the reality, folks, is we have entered into that next era in the United States where we, like Europe, become a post-Christian nation. It's not the same, is it? I mean, there was a time when, when our president would talk about the Bible with respect. But that's not the case anymore. Now, now it can be openly ridiculed. And... We see the whole attitude of the world beginning to shift and turn, and, and especially in our nation, don't we? An attitude of, of animosity where, where we want to be accepting of everybody but who? Christians. We want to accept all these other things, and everything's great, but, but not those Christians. Because they have the audacity to think that they actually have the truth. Well, because we do. It is true. And that's why the enemy will come so hard against it. We don't have to be afraid of those things that may come sooner or later. We don't have to be afraid. But what did Jesus say? A servant is not greater than his master. For they hated me. They'll hate you too. But be of good cheer. What? I have overcome the world. Greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. That's where we put our faith and our trust. Not in our own strength or our ability to somehow change the governing bodies of our nation. The only thing that's going to change our nation, folks, is revival. And revival begins in the house of God. With us. That's where it all starts. So we see Daniel facing this persecution knowing that if he prays, he's going to die. And where's the first place he goes? To pray. He goes to pray. I love kind of taking a journey through Fox's Book of Martyrs, if you ever have, have ever read through the book, and seeing the lives of men who were empowered by the Lord to face some of the things they faced and be faithful all the way to death. But what Think about what that accomplished. Because it lit a fire in Europe, the persecutions that took place, lit a fire in Europe that affected the entire world, our nation included. Because whenever the enemy gets frustrated and he brings that persecution, what happens to the church? It grows. It grows. And, and God affects lives. So Daniel wasn't afraid. He, we don't see any fear here. We see him going and doing what he was used to doing. That's why the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the fear of man, that's a snare. Because when we make our decisions based on what we're afraid is going to happen, what man can do to us, we're always going to compromise and, and fail to be the witness that we could be. 
But when we live our lives in the fear of God, I do not want to disappoint my heavenly father. Some of the worst times I remember as a kid was looking into my dad's eyes when I knew he was disappointed. Now, I'm not talking about the times he was mad or whatever, but when he looked at me and you just see in his eyes, I disappointed him. Maybe he didn't even say anything. Maybe it was just that look. And it was just like, man, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that to my heavenly father, to the one who would give me all things, the one who gave us his son. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? So we want to put our faith in trust, even as Daniel. Well, it says in verse 11, these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went to the king. Here they go. And they spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any God or man within 30 days except you, O king, should be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, well, this thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. And they answered and said before the king, that Daniel, who is one of the captives of Judah, this is a slur against them. You know, that concept of anti-Semitism is not new in the world. Satan started it way back in the beginning. Why? Because if he could destroy God's people, wipe them out, Messiah couldn't come. The promise was that Messiah would come through the lineage of Abraham. He could wipe all that out. If he could wipe out the nation of Israel, he can't come. How many times do we see in Esther try to wipe out the entire nation of Israel? When Jesus was born, didn't they slaughter the babes? They go and slaughter the children? It's not something new. And here they're making this slur. They hated Daniel. Why? Because God was in him. And Jesus said... That the reason people reject you or I or the truth that we bring is because they love the darkness and the light hurts their eyes. And when Daniel was standing there before the people and when he, when he ministered and when he reached out and when he, he directed those who were below him, he was upright in character and he was a light and they wanted the darkness. And so they come to the king just spewing venom. This, that Daniel... One of, the, one of the slaves from the children of Israel, one of the captives, does not show due regard to you, O king, and for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased, you see what it says? With himself. Because now the king knows, ah, man, they just were after Daniel all along. I fell into their trap. What could he do about it? What was it that he would be able to do? Listen, guys, I don't want you to miss the fact. Look at how, how Daniel had affected this king's life. I mean, this king loved Daniel. He really loved him. You're going to see that in all the things that he does. Why? Because that love of God is within Daniel, that spirit of God, the spirit of truth. And King Darius, maybe he liked the light. And he didn't want to walk in the darkness. Just like King Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to see as we go on. So, 
He says, oh, he was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored until the going down of the sun. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, No, O king, it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So I imagine the king went to his lawyers, tried to find a way around it, wasn't able to do so. So the king gave the command and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Man, he just, just the, the, the ability, guys, the, the ability of Daniel to affect those around him. We're going to see this king, the second king, Nebuchadnezzar and King Darius, come to a, a life of faith as a result of, of Daniel submitting himself to the Lord. And, and these guys coming to know the Most High God through the witness of Daniel. Two kings, two separate kingdoms. So he says, your God, he's going to be able. When they put Daniel in, don't lose sight. He's, he's somewhere in the area between 83 to 90 years old. When he throws him in to this den of lions. And they cover that den. Look what happens. A stone was brought and laid at the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the signets of his lords that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. 120 guys put their signet on there so that no one person could open that door. Oh, we got rid of Daniel now. We took care of him. We, he's in the, the lion's den. It'd be nothing but just bones in the morning. Finally, it's all over. It's finished. Well, look what happens. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. Huh. I wonder who taught him how to do that. I wonder where he learned to, to, to do those things. No musicians were brought before him, and, he, and his sleep went from him. He didn't sleep all night. Fasting. I imagine praying. Well, as soon as the sun comes up, look what happens. The king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of the lions. He's running to the lion's den. He gets there and, 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 and he begins to shout. And when he comes to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. And the king spoke saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lion's? You see that when the, when the king made that statement, well, your God, he'll be able to deliver you. You know, he, he's trying to, to sound as though he's, he can believe all that. But all night long he worried. And don't we do the same kind of things? And then he runs to the lion's den. And Daniel, Daniel, did God save you? Was God able to? Says in a lamenting voice. The king's crying. He's crying for his friend Daniel. And Daniel answers back. Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions so that they have not hurt me. Because I was found innocent before him, and also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. God delivered him from the roaring lion. We have something like that in our lives, don't we? Satan, the enemy... 
seeking about as a roaring lion looking for whom he may devour. But it's God that shuts the mouths of lions. A roaring lion, all he can do is make racket. He can't touch me. He can't touch us. And anything that does touch us, we cannot lose sight that it touches us passing through the hands of a God who loves me. Of a God who would say to me in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Why can I lay claim to that promise? Because God's word declares all the promises of God are in Christ Jesus, yes and amen. Because they're all in him. And in Christ, we can hold on to all those promises. Oh, well, another promise we can hold on to is all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Those are probably not on our refrigerator. But we don't have to be afraid of them. We don't have to fear that. We put our faith and our trust in God. And we walk into the lion's den. And if it is, is the time where, where God has said, you know, by your death in this place, I can touch all these people, then I can submit. I trust in God's ability and submit to His sovereignty. He sees all. I don't. I look at that story of that young man who lost his life, but I don't see the eternal circumstances that were brought into play as a result of him dying. I can't see him. I never will. But I know God can. And I know God knows more than me. And I know that I can trust him because I know the heart of God. Because when I read God's word, I know that he does not sitting up there thinking, I want to destroy the life of some child. That's not the heart of God. The heart of God is is to bring life. And so God does things that I don't understand. He's God. And I'm not. Yeah. He is. And I don't want to be. I've seen the job. I don't want it. (laughs) I just want to trust him. And allow God to do his perfect work. Well, let's see what happens. So the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. Because he believed. Put his faith, his trust, submitted to the Father and he was spared. But then we have this little thing called Lex Talanius which is Latin for an eye for an eye. Never trick a king into doing something bad. Because if it doesn't work out, the result is not going to be good. It's not, it's not worth what takes place. Look what happens. The king gave the command, and they brought those men who had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions. Them, their children, and their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Do you think that the choices that you make are only going to affect you? Do we as men and fathers think that those little feet that follow us all throughout their lives are not going to pick up on who we are really? 
if we consider truly the, the kind of things that can take place as a result of the decisions that I make and realize I'm not the only one who goes. When I was, when I was unfaithful to Kathy, the result was later on down the line, the doctors came to me and told me I was positive for HIV. My wife, seven months pregnant. I had to look into her eyes and think that my choice, my sin, condemned me, my wife, and my baby. And that's what we see taking place here, right? Sin always destroys. And God always saves. Sin wants to, to totally destroy all that will ever be. I remember Kathy sharing a dream that she had where she was, she was, <clears throat> she woke up and she had had a dream that she was at the cemetery and there was a plot with my name on it and a plot next to me with a baby's name on it and she was visiting those two cemetery plots and she was sick. And when she would share that with me, it would break my heart because I don't, I'm, when it was just me messing up my life, hey, you know, whatever, I, I, I we can shoulder that, can't we? But when it, when it messes up everything? I am thankful that we serve a God second chances. Second chances for right relationships. Second chances at life. I'm thankful that I serve a God that takes the death sentence off of me and my family. Because that's what God does. And I can trust Him. Whatever comes. So I want to have that attitude like Daniel. I believe that the lions aren't going to get me. And they can't touch me unless God says it's okay. And if God said it's okay, I'm okay with it too. That's how I want to live. That's, how, that's, that's the attitude I want to have moving in my life. Well, look what King Darius does. Then King Darius wrote. Now, haven't we seen this before? Daniel chapter 4. To all the people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Once again, Nebuchadnezzar, remember he put that posting up throughout his whole kingdom about the Most High God and that he's the one true God? King Darius is going to do the same thing. He's going to do the same thing. Two different kings, two different kingdoms. Daniel affected them both. Why? Because he was so good? No, because the Spirit of the living God was in him and he was submitted to the Father. And God did that work. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Now, in your Bibles, it may say, men must tremble and fear. Men must, you'll notice, is in italics. That's because the guys who, who brought the Bible to us and translated it thought that that would help us understand more clearly. But I think it speaks for itself if we let it just speak for itself. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. He's the true God, for he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. 
Daniel's never going to leave. Spends his whole life from 16 to his death in captivity. Yet God uses him in such a mighty way, doesn't he? To touch the people around him. In chapter 6, we finish his history. The exciting thing is you haven't even began to dip your finger into the things that God revealed to Daniel. Because the next six chapters are the visions and prophecies that God gave Daniel. That people still marvel over today. Still blown away. The critics of the Bible, they, they don't even know what to do with Daniel. It's Daniel in the critics' den with them. You know, they're pouring over trying to figure how they can tear it and, and say this ain't true and that's not true. And over and over and over again, they're defunct. They're unable to accomplish their goal because God's word is true, living, and powerful. And it applies to us still today. Still wants to affect our lives today. Amen? Won't you stand with me and we'll pray and then we'll, we'll worship. Again, on Sunday nights, we just do a time of extended worship. We invite you to stay as long as you'd like to stay. Um, you know, if you want to come up to the altar, if you want to kneel, if you want to pray, all those things, that's part of what we want to be able to do on Sunday evening. So we invite you to, to be a part of that with us. And, and if you need to go, just know that, that I love you and I just said hey to you as soon as I was done, but you had to go earlier. So... Uh, <laughs> God bless you all and go in peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you so much for the truth of your word and for what your word declares and what your word uh, just guides us through. Lord, we want to be like Daniel. Father, we want to be like Jesus. We want to be submitted to the Father. We want to be used. We want to be tools in the Master's hand. Father, we want, to, we want to just give ourselves, our hands, our feet, all that we are, that you might use us to affect our world. And that we would realize our ability to affect our world depends so much on, on our attitude. And if we'll just take that attitude and submit that to the Father, this day is God's day. Whatever comes into my life on this day, pass through His hands and got His okay. And if He's okay with it, help me to be okay with it too. May we learn from the psalmist how he looked at all these things that come in life, all these disappointments, was able to say, but I was okay when I came to the sanctuary of God and I saw the end. Lord, help us to, to understand the truth of the, of the frightening realities of what hell is. God, may we just be filled with the power that you bring on high, that you grant. That may realize that the only difference between Daniel and us is the Spirit of God working in a mighty, mighty way. May we hear the words that Jesus said, that these things you've seen me do and greater you can do. If we'll submit to the Father and allow you to do your perfect work. So, Lord, we lift this evening to you. Father, we ask that you would be glorified and magnified as we seek your face, Lord. And we just pray that your spirit would move here in a mighty way as we just desire to, to spend some time with you, Father God, and to know you in, a, in a, just a greater degree, Lord. We lift up the rest of this evening to you, Father, and we ask that you would help us to be all that you're calling each of us to be in Christ. Lord, we 
lift this time to you. Seek your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.